in your Bible today, the book of Isaiah, chapter number 61, Isaiah chapter 61, and when you find it, just stand, if you will, as we read God's Word together, Isaiah chapter 61. And I'm going to read to you the first three verses today. Follow with me in your Bible, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And I call your attention for a moment back to verse 1. And in the middle of the verse, He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And my message title is two words, proclaim liberty, to proclaim liberty. And you may be seated. Well, since we met last, Russia has invaded the Ukraine, the country immediately south of her. Many people are saying that the fuse has been lit for World War III. Vladimir Putin is being compared now to Hitler, and there's a lot of parallels. Hitler, you remember, invaded Poland in 1938. Well, most of you don't remember that. Even I don't remember that. (laughs) So Hitler invaded Poland in 1938, unprovoked, no reason to do it except he was trying to take their territory, much like is happening there. And all of us who have watched the news footage on that are concerned because wars are very, very unpredictable. They're easy to start. They're very, very difficult to conclude. And we don't know where it will end. We don't know who will get caught up in it, who will decide it's in their best interest to to join the battle. And that's just one place in the world where liberty is under attack. You've watched the pleas from those Ukrainian people, and they're heart-rending because they know that their future liberty and freedom is absolutely at stake and being taken from them by the Russians. But across the world today, across the entire world, liberty and freedom are under attack. A few weeks ago, there were protests, a few days ago, there were protests in Canada. And many of those protesters have now been arrested. Now, it was a peaceful protest, and I'm not defending or uh, I'm I'm not on either side of the protest, particularly in, in what I'm saying right now. The point is this, that The prime minister there, Trudeau, who is the poster child of the globalists and the the reset people, 
he has declared martial law. He has declared a state of emergency. One of our own members here, who is now a pastor in Saskatchewan, tells me that the country's locked down. He's asking for our prayers, pleading for them, saying they have no freedom, that we're not even hearing half the story down here of what is happening there. Some of those people have been arrested and put in jail. No bond. Their rights are gone under martial law. And uh, it made me think about last January, when we, or a year ago, January a year ago. And I was recommended this book called The Great Reset. And it's the blueprint for the globalist as they try to create a global governance, as they try to take over in the entire Western world, to reorient the entire Western world, to reset it, to use their terminology. And I began that series of messages reading to you from the book where the author of that, a German professor, an intellectual and one of the elitists of Davos, Switzerland, all those meetings they have there, where this man said that COVID has given us the opportunity that we've wanted for years. And we're going to use that opportunity to reset not only government, but also education and all the institutions of society, we're going to reset them. There's going to be a new normal now in the world. And of course, we have been seeing that unfold. And every, with every step of that, if you're observant, you're seeing that there's a loss of liberty, a loss of freedom. And so as I read my Bible in the Old Testament, I came across this wonderful passage, Proclaim Liberty. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to proclaim liberty. Liberty, I submit to you, other than your salvation and possibly your immediate family is the most precious possession that you have. And yet, because it's invisible, it's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing, in essence, we forget and we take it for granted. And in America, we particularly take it for granted. We've had so much of it, we've just overdosed on liberty and freedom. And so it's as if we're not even aware of the threat to it. And the war this week made me think of it. The quote there, the verse from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, incidentally was the text that the Lord Jesus Christ used when he went back home to Nazareth and preached his very first sermon. You will find it recorded in the book of Luke, chapter 4, specifically in verse 18. So Jesus, with all the Old Testament before him, went home, the hometown boy, quotes, and he went home to preach for the very first time. And what did he preach on? He preached, I want to proclaim liberty. Pretty noteworthy text, wouldn't you think? Point one today, if you're taking notes with me, the Bible teaches political liberty. The, when I talk about political liberty, I'm referring to a biblical subject. 
It's not preaching politics. It's preaching the Bible to tell people about political liberty. And I ask you to go with me in your Bible to see an example of it in the book of Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter 3 is the classic passage here on political liberty drawn from the Scripture itself. And in verse 7, the Lord said, I've seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for reason of the taskmasters. I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large land unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold the cry of the children of Israel, just like the cries I imagine coming out of Ukraine this morning. Behold the cry of the people of Israel. It's come up to me. I've seen their oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. And he called Moses and his brother to go and to proclaim liberty to the captives, the citizens of Israel down there, slaves now in Egypt. And if you would turn with me to chapter 5 and verse 1, and Moses and Aaron, his brother, went in and told Pharaoh, the king, the leader of the superpower of that day, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And so Pharaoh, as you know, refused to let them go for the time being. But God brought the plagues upon the nation of Israel until he was willing to release the children of Israel. Turn one more time to chapter 8, because I want to show you the purpose of political freedom that I fear America has forgotten. The reason God wants us to have political freedom is, because, is so that we can worship Him. Thus saith the Lord, chapter 8 and verse 1, let my people go that they may serve me. The reason God was concerned about their political liberty was that they would have the freedom to serve Him, not so they could go on vacation, not so they could make a speech somewhere or go to college. The purpose of their freedom was to serve the Lord first of all. That was the first priority for it. You see, God is interested in liberty, and we are interested in liberty because liberty is a component of our humanity. It's a component of our humanity. It's a part of the very image of God that God placed upon human beings. It's one of our unalienable rights. You remember the founders wrote, Jefferson specifically wrote in the Declaration of Independence, he talked about our unalienable rights, the right of life, liberty. There it is. Life, liberty, and to pursue happiness. There's the economic liberty, economic freedom to pursue happiness. In fact, in his original version, that's crossed out, but you can see it in some of the archives, he originally said life, liberty, and uh, the ownership of property. So liberty, political liberty, economic liberty, religious liberty, 
It's a component of what we are as human beings. It's a part of the image of God. We have a right to liberty. Pharaoh, a tyrant, enslaved the Israelites, was killing their, their male babies as they were born, if you remember. And so God said, I've seen enough. Their cry has come up. Their oppression has touched my heart. Go down there and tell him to let them go, and if he doesn't let them go, he will suffer severe consequences. Our founders understood what Moses was doing, and they wrote it like this. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Now, normally, we Christians are very obedient people. We're very submissive to authority. But there is a line that has been drawn that God says, once that line is crossed, it's our obligation to stand for liberty and to stand for freedom. I don't understand why we're so passive about it right now in America. There's another story in your Bible. I don't know that I'm going to even go there and read it, but it or read from it, but it's the story of Esther, a young Jewish girl who was the queen of Persia at that time, the other, the, the, the succeeding superpower to Israel. And so the queen there, this young Jewish girl, she had stayed with her, the Jewish people in Persia after the captivity, and many of the Jews had gone back to Israel, but she remained there as many did. And a plot is hatched by this man named Haman. He is an anti-Semite. He hates Jews. And the reason he hates them is a personal thing. There is a man who is working there at the palace with him named Mordecai. And he doesn't know it. But boy, irony of all ironies. Mordecai happens to be the uncle of Esther the queen. And Mordecai is a Jew, and Jews don't bow down to men. Jews only bow down to God. And so Haman is coming in and out of the palace, and old Mordecai refuses to bow to him, and it hurts his pride. He's one of these guys that wants everybody to know how important he is. And so he ends up lying to the king and hatching up this plot, but he gets it passed into law. And the plot is to exterminate all the Jews that live in Persia at that time, to kill them. And the plot is going forward. It's about to be carried out when Mordecai sends word into the palace to his, uh, to his niece, to Esther, and he says, Esther, You've got to do something about this. You've got to speak to the king. Esther says, even a queen in the law, under the laws of Persia cannot just walk into the king's presence. The king has to invite her. And her uncle said, look, who knows, but God has sent you to the kingdom for such a time as this. Boy, what wonderful words. God has sent you to the kingdom for such a time. Do you think that God has sent us to the kingdom for such a time as this? Do you think it was an accident of fate that you be born when you're born, that you live when you live? 
Do you think God has anything to do with the people that are living at any particular point in history? Do you think that's sovereignly guided as well? I certainly do. I said in the opening of the Great Reset, I wonder why all the great people of history that I've read about and that I so love and respect, where are they right now? The only people left on the earth are us. But who knows, but we've been sent to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Mordecai sent that in to Esther, and it got in her soul. And she sent word back out, I'm going to go see the king. I'm going to walk back to that great hall at the back of it where he sits up on that magnificent throne. Now, if he wants me to come in, he'll, when he sees me, he'll hold out his scepter. But if I go in there and he doesn't hold it out, then I perish. And then she said these words, if I perish, I perish. But there are causes greater, greater than my own life. There are things more important than survival. Will you let that brew for a moment in your head? There are things more important in life than just surviving. And over in the Ukraine today, there's a young Jew who is the president. His name is Zelensky. And I've been watching him come on television and plead with the world to send him arms and ammunition so he can fight back and protect his homeland. And they ask him, are you going to leave? And he said, I'm not going to leave. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to stay here and fight for my homeland. I'm going to fight for liberty. And yesterday, President Biden made an offer, and they sent it to him through the diplomatic channels. Look, we can get you out of there. Do you know what Zelensky said to the president? I'm not looking for a ride. I need ammunition. That's the kind of man I can can respect, can't you? I don't need a ride. I'm not looking for a ride. I'm looking for bullets. Because we're going to defend our homeland. We love liberty. And I watched that young woman in the subway holding a baby and pleading with the world for help because she talked about her love of liberty. And I saw the 80-year-old woman laying down on her stomach and the young man standing over her instructing her how to use her Klasnikov weapon. She's 80 years old. She's a great-grandmother, but she says, I'd be glad to die for my homeland. I'm not leaving. I'm here to fight. Boy, I don't know about you. That stuff stirs my blood. That, That stuff says, boy, there's something more than just American affluence and and materialism. There's something greater than anything that we think about on a daily basis, and it's called liberty, freedom. These people are about to lose it, and now they see it, and they understand its value.
You know, our founding document, the founding document of the United States is not the Constitution. The founding document, the thing that gave us life, was when we declared our independence from England, and they wrote out, Jefferson wrote out the Declaration of Independence. And he said the whole purpose of government, the whole purpose of government is to secure these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Governments are instituted among men. And so they met together, and they had that constitutional convention, and they had a big bell cast. I've had the privilege to stand there and look at it just like I was looking at, I'm looking at the pulpit and those flowers in front of me, this close. Huge bell. I've never seen a bell that big. And they rung it the moment that that Constitution was written out and signed. They began ringing that bell, and then all the other church bells were ringing. They were ringing all across America. And you know what's engraved on that bell? It's Exodus chapter 25 and verse 10. Proclaim liberty, Isaiah 61. Luke 4.18, my subject today, proclaim liberty to all the inhabitants thereof in the land. Political liberty taught in the Bible. But then there's economic liberty. And it's also taught in the Bible. You understand that, don't you? It's not an invention of some rich capitalist somewhere. In the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 19, God said to Adam, and because you've sinned, now there's going to have to be a form of work, and you're going to have to work hard to, get the, uh, to make a living. And in the sweat of your face, work, labor, not dependence upon government, but work, labor, and in doing it, you will eat your bread, the rewards of your labor, the fruit of your labor. And then the Bible teaches us private ownership of property. And in the commandments, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal another person's property. And the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet anything, your neighbor's animals, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's whatever, because you're not even supposed to desire what other people have. You're supposed to work for what you have in life. You're not to depend on someone else. You're not to depend upon the government. And people came to America, and they, and they settled this country. And now today, all the professors teach in the college courses something we call the Protestant work ethic. Protestant work ethic. What was the Protestant work ethic? It came out of those scriptures and more where you work. You don't expect something for nothing. You work, and you earn, and you spend, and you give, and you save so that you can have freedom. And when you don't have any money, you don't have any freedom. Everybody's figured that out, haven't they? That the amount of money you have purchases freedom for you, if you will. 
And today we have 40 million people in America who don't earn their bread. Their bread is given to them because of government policy. And government can enslave people through its economic policy. See, political freedom is not the only kind of freedom the Bible teaches. And so we have right now uh, U.S. government policy, and I submit to you it's taking away your economic freedom. What is that policy? It's called global warming, climate change. Climate change is... Do you understand climate change is based on evolutionary philosophy? It's, it's based on the fact that, that there's so much oil or trees or whatever you want to use, and, and that's all, and that there's no God. There's no divine hand guiding history that we're going to run out of these resources one of these days, and when we do, that's, you know, that's the end. Do you understand that global warming and this whole climate change thing is, is very deep into pantheism that teaches that man is a part of the creation, the creation is part of him, and, and it's all God, that we're one with the planet? <laughs> And we got Earth Day coming up, kids. And you're going to go to school, and they're going to tell you the Earth is your mother. Not my mother. No, the Earth is not my mother. God is my father. But the Earth is not my mother. How ridiculous. I remember way back in the 70s. Time Magazine had a cover. I think I still have it in my file somewhere. And the concern then was we were entering a new ice age and that global cooling was going to take all of us. And you know that South Carolina was going to be encrusted with a six-foot glacier of ice or something. And even today, there's conflicting data about the cause and the cure and the consequences and and so on. And then the very day he was elected, the president of the United States issued an executive order. The day, I mean, he walked from the stage where he had just taken the oath of office and went to his desk and began signing executive orders. You remember that, don't you? And the first one that he signed, the very first one he signed was to shut down the pipeline and cut the use of fossil fuels, of oil, natural gas, and coal, and so on, to stop exploration and no more new wells. Now, that was a real brilliant move. You know why? Because today we have to buy, because we don't have enough oil to run our country, we will buy 595,000 barrels of oil from Russia, meaning we're financing the war against the Ukrainians. And it means that you and I are losing our economic freedom because now there's, what does gas cost? And the service station operator 
told his employees that the company has said we might have $7 a gallon gas. They told me that yesterday. So I go to the grocery store and I buy my food. But it costs the farmer $7 or $5 a gallon or whatever for his fuel. So the food goes up. The cattle and hog and chicken feed, they feed them to get them to maturity. It costs more. And the energy for processing costs more. And the transportation to the packing houses and the grocery stores costs more. And the packaging costs more. And the energy to run the cooler out of which I get my meat and vegetables costs more. And the nice air-conditioned store, the air conditioning costs more. You know now why you can go to the store and buy $100 worth of groceries and put them in two bags? Government policy. Well, preacher, you're not preaching the Bible today. Oh, yes, I am. You just wait. I'll get there. But I'm telling you, that takes away your freedoms. You see, you're going to, some people are going to eat less. And some people are going to travel less. And you may even have to adjust the temperature in your home because of economic freedom being taken from you. A biblical worldview would look at it like this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, including the oil and the ground, and all they that dwell therein. God is sovereign. God is in charge, not Mother Nature. God is in charge. And we're stewards. He put the oil in the ground for the use of man. He put everything in nature there. And we are stewards. We're not to abuse it. We're to use it. We're to use it for our happiness and our existence. And if you want to know what the future of the planet is, don't listen to the global warm, warming people. Listen, read Revelation chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 16. Tells you what's going to happen. And it's going to be a mess. But then you go on further and read chapter 21 and 22, and he says this, I will make all things new, and there will be no more curse. <laughs> There's a lot of hope if you keep on reading to the end. Now, don't stop in chapter 6. You get the blues if you do that. But if you go and read it on through, there's a world of hope out there for God's people. And here's the thing you see. God provided a philosophy, we call it capitalism, free enterprise. We give it names like that, but it's based on a biblical idea of work and saving and profit. And it's made this country the richest country in all of the world. Nobody's ever been able to live like us. And when that government policy begins to take that away, I don't want to live in Cuba or Venezuela 
or North Korea nor Ukraine. I want to live in a country that was founded on economic liberty. And lastly, there's religious liberty. And I base that on Matthew 22 and 21. Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but render unto God what belongs to God. And in order to render unto God what belongs to God, then I have to have freedom of religion. Now, this country, our founders said, freedom of religion, we want that, but you know, you even have freedom to not have any religion if you want. Religious freedom, freedom of conscience, if you will. And oh, that's my great concern. The others I'm concerned about, this is my great concern. Here's a book written a couple of years ago by a man named Rod Dreher. It's called Live Not By Lies, A Manual for Christian Dissidents. And I read to you from the introduction. Listen carefully to this little story. In the spring of 2015, I received a phone call from an anxious stranger. The caller was an eminent American physician. He told me his elderly mother, a Czechoslovakian immigrant to the United States, had spent six years of her youth as a political prisoner in her homeland. She had been a part of the Catholic anti-communist movement. Now in her 90s and living with her son and his family in America, the old woman had told her American son that events in the United States today reminded her of when communism first came to Czechoslovakia. What prompted her concerns? Well, news reports about a social media mob frenzy against a small town Indiana pizzeria whose evangelical Christian owner told a reporter he would not cater a same-sex wedding. You remember that? The U.S. doctor said he had learned, he had heard his immigrant parents warn him about the dangers of totalitarianism all of his life. He hadn't worried. After all, this is America, the land of liberty, of individual rights, one nation under God, the rule of law. That America was born out of a quest for religious liberty and had always been proud of its First Amendment and the Constitution that guaranteed it. But then the man said, in my soul, I began to wonder, what if the old Czech woman sees something the rest of us don't see? What if we're really witnessing a turn toward totalitarianism in the Western democracies and can't see it because it takes a form different from the old kind? And so during the next few years, I spoke with many men and women who had once lived under communism. Listen, I spoke with many men and women who once lived under communism. And that's what the rest of the book is about. I asked them what they thought of the old woman's declaration. Did they think life in America is drifting towards some sort of totalitarianism? They all said yes often emphatically. They were usually surprised by my question because they consider Americans to be hopelessly naive. 
on the subject. In talking at length to some of the immigrants who had found refuge in America, I discovered some of them were genuinely angry that their fellow Americans didn't realize what is happening. Oh, that God would help us see it. I watched a video day before yesterday on YouTube. You could look it up and see it. And a man visited 22 different churches in the Russian-controlled part of Ukraine called Donetsk. And he went to this city, and he went from church to church to church to church. He visited a Baptist church. It was a large church, it looked like, or had been. Now, the rebel and Russian soldiers are living in that church. That's their barracks. The church is closed. The Catholic church is closed. The Mormon church is closed. The Pentecostal church is closed. The Jehovah's Witnesses are closed. But there's one church open in town. It's the Russian Orthodox Church. You know why it's open? Because Vladimir Putin controls the Russian Orthodox Church out of Russia. He appoints all the leadership and so on. So they all are subservient to him. So when you lose your political freedom and you lose your economic freedom, you lose your religious freedom. Hitler rose to power pretending to be a Christian. It was after he had really gained power and control of the German churches that his true self was revealed. And they made a law. They took down the cross and they put the swastika on the altar and at the front of the church. The state is God, not the cross. So today, I'm not here to tell you what we can do about it. I'm here to proclaim liberty. I'm here to say we've got to be aware. We've got to be informed. We have to be concerned. We have to be praying. And we have to be active when our opportunities come at election time. We are learning every day now that elections have consequences. We're learning every day what it's like to have incompetent leadership in a nation. And it ought to make our hearts appreciate and yearn for freedom. Galatians 6 and 1 says, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. That's not political liberty. That's not economic liberty. That's not even religious liberty. That's spiritual liberty. That Jesus Christ set us free from the law and its curses upon us, its bondage. That the gospel frees man through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. By grace, 
through faith, we're set free. Freedom begins at the cross of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? And today, I've just closed by saying, you know what? It's a great time to be a Christian because we're going to see God do some wonderful things in our lifetime. I've got a feeling. And I hope you know Christ as your Savior and you're in the family. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, and bow your head.